Welcome back to Brain and Blaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy by people with epilepsy, for people with epilepsy, and our carers. I'm your host, David Clifford. In this episode, we're going to continue our exploration with stress and anxiety by describing what I call the stress seizure spiral. I will then give you tools to be able to recognize you're in it and how to safely get out. If you're new to Brain and Blaze, I just want to state that I'm not a medical expert. I'm just someone that has struggled with the ins and outs of epilepsy for almost three decades. I'll start this episode with a question. Have you ever felt like your life spiraled out of control because your stress caused your seizures? Then your seizures just caused more stress? I call it the stress seizure spiral. We must be the Last week, we covered half the spiral by providing you the information you need to prevent your stress and anxiety from causing seizures. What about the other side? How do seizures cause more stress? This could very well be the stupidest person on the face of the earth. Okay, wait. We all know how seizures cause more stress, but we also know that the lifestyle of a person with epilepsy isn't just seizures. What I meant to ask was, how does adapting to the lifestyle we lead between seizures cause us more seizures? Oh, right. First up, let's talk about mental load. The canonical example of mental load are tests performed by fighter pilots. Actually, we're going to have to go back a bit farther to tell the whole story. Okay, now you've gone too far. Ah, there we go. The term has been around since the early 70s, but has recently become more popular as more and more people discover how it affects their lives. Back in the 70s, research was performed to show how even trained minds, like jet fighter pilots, can make mistakes as the number of tasks they are given increases. There were huge technological advances in the 1970s. Using the new minted silicon chip, technologies could finally be miniaturized. Jet cockpits became filled to the brim with different types of sensors. Because there wasn't a global user interface yet, the pilot had to check all of the new sensors and controls independently. And one of the things that became clear is that as the number of sensors increased, the number of mistakes jet pilots made also increased. Their job was like juggling a box full of polling pins. It turns out there's an upper limit of the number of things that we can do at the same time. And as one's mental load approaches that value, everything falls to the ground. The comedian Jim Gaffigan put the same concept in a different way when he talked about his family. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. It turns out that there's a huge component of mental load that is just invisible. Visible mental load is the actions we take, while invisible mental load is the accumulation of thoughts of future actions. To differentiate visible versus invisible load clearly, let's use a simple example. Our medication. One of the major hurdles that all of us face is medication. For me, and for a lot of you out there, is quite literally a handful of pills. I have a visible mental load when I have to organize and take my pills in the morning, at lunchtime, and at night. I have an invisible mental load during the rest of the day because I have to remember not to miss the next medication time. The advice that one gives when they see someone taking on too much is often to break down what they are doing into smaller pieces. Divide and conquer. Instead of reading that economics chapter all in one night for that test next week, why don't you read a bit of it each night? 
gosh, Mom, you just don't understand me. However, breaking a task down increases your invisible load. In the economics reading example, one now has to remember each night to read a new section. See, Mom, he gets me. You know, you really need to be nicer to her, right? Yeah, I know. I'll be in my room. Mental load is a huge influencer to our stress and our seizures. At Brain Ablaze, we often say that one should find their neurologist, take their meds, get their sleep, and mind their triggers. Each one of those active tasks is hard enough by itself, but when they are combined, it often feels like it's insurmountable. Even when we're not seizing, we are constantly doing and thinking about things to make sure that we don't seize in the future. Another one of the traps we fall into is tunnel vision. Tunnel vision is the ability to focus on one thing at a time while ignoring everything else. It's great for hitting that deadline at work or cramming for that test, but it often fails with catastrophic results. It can manifest as the private detective focusing his attention on one suspect before reviewing all the evidence in the case. Just like that private investigator, we often just focus on one aspect of our treatment so much that we lose the ability to work through all of them. For example, focusing on removing a new trigger might cause us a lack of sleep, which causes a miss of medication, which triggers a seizure. Another way we fall into tunnel vision is by waiting for information. I often notice my seizures increase as I wait to take a test or wait for test results. Invisible mental load. Pretty tough. But the week after the test can often be just as bad. That's because I get tunnel vision on what the test results might say and lose the ability to look at the bigger picture. A larger and more gruesome example of the same phenomenon is the tale of Eastern Airlines 401. Jeez, what's up with this guy in jets? Shut your mouth, Kevin. A few days after Christmas in 1972, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 started their scheduled flight by taking off from John F. Kennedy International Airport, destined for Miami International Airport. After the plane and its 163 passengers were up in the air, the crew engaged the autopilot. Later, they noticed that a light indicated that the landing gear hadn't raised. What they couldn't have known at the time was that a faulty component in the light made it shine. What they should have noticed was the autopilot hadn't disengaged. While the crew waited for information about the lit sensor, they failed to notice that the low altitude alarm was firing. They even failed to hear a remark of the air traffic controller trying to restore the attention to the situation. I'm scared, Mom. I know, Kevin. It's gonna be okay. With the crew locked in tunnel vision, the plane crashed, killing most people aboard. While we wait for information, we are ripe for tunnel vision. This is important for people with epilepsy because the diagnosis for our condition requires us to wait, and wait a lot. We wait for scheduled doctor's appointments, we wait for medication to be prescribed, we wait for EGs, or MRIs, or PETs, or functional MRIs. We seem to be always waiting for something. A lot of us find ourselves just waiting for the next seizure. It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. We get so focused on the fact that we haven't had a seizure for a while, that it takes our attention away from all the other things that we need to get done to make sure that we don't have a seizure in the future. Unfortunately, a lot of us do this in the hope to celebrate manipulated seizure-free milestones.
How many times have you had a seizure right before or right after a weekly or monthly or even yearly milestone? The desire to celebrate this seizure-free milestone causes us stress, creating more invisible mental load, which leads to tunnel vision, and the stress-seizure spiral starts. The next questions we have to ask are how do we reduce mental load and fight tunnel vision? The biggest way we reduce our mental load is to delegate. I know, I know, asking for help is often hard. It's humbling. On the other hand, it's your health. Having another person there that can help you remove tasks off your plate is a huge win. Maybe they can help you organize your medication. If your spouse is going with you to your doctor appointments, maybe they can take on the organization of the online calendar. The point is to get things off your plate and out of your mind. Another way we can do just that. Remember those jet pilots? Get your butts above the hard deck and return to base immediately. Yes, sir. They created a checklist for everything. Creating a checklist for things you need to do before doctor's appointment is a great way to organize yourself. But how do you organize yourself even further? How about putting all of your stuff you need for your epilepsy in one place? A lot of the test results and appointments are done online, of course. But what about your medication and your journal? Maintaining a photo album on your phone containing an up-to-date list of pictures of your medication bottles is another way to not have to finally keep all those five-syllable medication names in your head. If you don't know what I'm talking about, take a look at episode five, Let's Talk Triggers. My final suggestion on mental load is that after everything is written down, you just take some time for yourself. Again, I know this is hard. A lot of us feel guilty that we're taking time off from our family and friends. Think of it this way, though. Your family and friends want to hang out with a healthy you. If that means that you just take a couple hours a week to relax, I'm sure they would help you make that happen. One last thing. An easy way to measure our stress and anxiety is to track it in our journal. We've already talked about tracking your mood. But just giving a thumbs up and thumbs down and how you're doing, working with all your doctors, taking your meds, getting your sleep, and avoiding your triggers is a huge win. Documenting progress is always a great idea. Hopefully, you can prevent the seizure stress spiral from even starting. And you, and you, and you, and you were there. Oh. <laughs> Was this episode helpful? We would love to hear any of your comments or questions regarding this or any of our other episodes. You can reach out to us via email at social at or Twitter at BrainyBlaze. If you like this episode, consider subscribing to the whole podcast or even helping us by providing a five-star reading on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. With higher reviews, we can reach a broader audience. One small click really does help. See you next time.